The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Hi, this is Harry Margolis with the Ask Harry podcast. We're here to answer your estate planning questions and hear from experts in the field. In this episode, I was able to speak with Larry Froelich, who recently retired as a longtime professor of estate planning and elder law at the University of Pittsburgh Law School. And he's been thinking a lot lately about how seniors can protect themselves from financial risks. And that was the topic of our conversation. Here it is. So, Larry, I know you've been thinking a lot about uh, what older adults can do to protect themselves financially, make sure they're not don't become subject to scams or just subject to uh, either also market risk and just uh, making uh, wrong decisions as we get older. And uh, I thought uh, I'd leave it open to you to, to tell me what you've been thinking about. Well, Harry, I think the first thing you have to recognize when you get older, and I'm certainly, I always said old is someone who's five years older than I am, but I think, I think that day is past, and I think I've entered the land of you're, you're catch, catching up people. Yeah, it's catching up. Yeah. I think the first thing we all have to recognize is that you have to prepare for the bad things that can happen when you age, and the bad things, of course, are the lack of physical ability, you have, a, you have a stroke or some medical condition, and even more fearful, the lack of mental capacity. <clears throat> Usually you associate with dementia, Alzheimer's. You know. So the problem you're, you're facing when you get older is, what happens if I lose my physical capabilities? Maybe it's just you can't drive anymore. Mm-hmm. Or my mother, for example, got macular degeneration, very severe, and she couldn't read anymore. <laughs> yeah, that happened to my grandmother uh, as well. Right. And, uh, boy, you try to handle your financial affairs if you can't read. Uh, good luck. Uh, and, of course, the problem is that as your physical capabilities decline, you get less stamina, your short-term memory, as they say, goes all to heck. <laughs> and uh, uh, you may also be suffering some mild memory loss or cognitive impairment. That sounds fancy way of saying you're getting demented. Mm-hmm. So it's often that it's a two hits, you can, or you have to worry about that kind of double whammy of physical loss of capability and potential uh, dementia. The it's particularly important when you put that in the context of your financial affairs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing to go to the grocery store and not be as a capable shopper, so you're not buying the the best bargain on coffee that week. Uh, but it's a, a, a lot worse if that means your investments are, are suffering because you aren't up to the task of taking care of them. That, that's, now, assuming, that's assuming we ever are. Yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, that, that's being pretty – I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and here's my final kind of prep talk to get into this is we all can hope for the good death, and I guess the good death is – uh, if you're a golfer, for example, you're on the golf course, you've just hit, hit a hole in one and you get hit by lightning and die. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that is, we hope for a death which does not follow a period of loss of capabilities, mental and physical, or a very short period of time. And, but you can't count on that, right? It, it, you just can't be sure you won't be that person who is, uh, has a stroke and is impaired for years or gets Alzheimer's and has several years of slow decline. Now, none of us want that, and none of us uh, 
expected even, but we all should be making plans for the worst thing that can happen. And, of course, that's the problem with lawyers, right, Harry? Lawyers are always worrying about what bad things can happen in, that, 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 <laughs> rather than what good things. That's, what, that's why clients really want to see us all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing more joyful than walking right. into the lawyer's office. Right. Uh, but you need to do so, quite frankly. You just have to be realistic. Okay, so let's, what can you do for the problems of loss of physical or mental capabilities in, as a, in your financial affairs? Well, any lawyer would tell you you want to get a power of attorney, right? Yeah. That's a basic document any lawyer you talk to, particularly any elder law attorneys, one of the first questions they're going to ask you is, do you have a power of attorney? How recent is it? Et cetera, et cetera. A power of attorney is simply a, a document that says, uh, if I can't handle my affairs, maybe because I'm in a coma or I've gotten demented, if I can't handle my financial affairs, uh, my ex, the person named as my agent, uh, typically, if you're married, it's your spouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, my spouse, in my case, my wife's name, Ellen. So if I, I have a power of attorney that says, if I can't handle my financial and my affairs, my wife, Ellen, can handle them for me. So, But if Ellen, for example, my wife has mental problems and she can't be my agent, or worse than that, she's died, then you need an alternative. That's someone, the second person. So, mm-hmm. And typically for married couples, you start with your spouse, and then you often name a child uh, to take your, over your affairs. And this is just base step one, you need to do it. But it's not a step you can do and forget forever, right? Right. You need to, two things that can happen. One, over time, the person you named as your potential agent may not be the best person anymore. Now, usually, well, for example, you name your spouse, mm-hmm. and your spouse gets dementia. Well, obviously, that's not the person you want handling your affairs, and so you would take them off the document and name someone else. More likely, the problem is you name a child, and you must see this a lot, Harry. You name a child who lives not very far away. Yeah. So I name Corey. My son, my son is Corey. So I name my son Corey as the, my alternative, and he lives across town. Great. But then somewhere along the line, Corey gets a job off in Nowheresville, a long way from where we live now, and he moves there. Well, now he's not going to find it very easy to handle my financial affairs. How, he's, not, you know, he's a long ways away. Uh, it's going to be difficult for him to take care of it. So maybe I should take Corey off as my agent and put my daughter, uh, Winnie, Winifred, on. Uh, even though she doesn't live quite as close, she's 20 miles away. Still, it's better than my son, who's 1,500 miles away. So, so Larry, let me let me ask you a, yeah, ask you a question. I'm sure people listening are going to ask. So, so do I have to go see a lawyer and pay the lawyer every time I make these changes? In theory, you don't have to, <laughs> uh, because you can do this yourself. But that's the, pr- the problem is whether the document will be valid. And I don't want to get too legalese here, but what's happened over the years is powers of attorney start out as fairly informal documents, and you could go online and drop one off and sign it. And then what happened was that we had bad agents, agents who were using this power to steal money from their aged parents or grandparents, or they were misusing the money. Uh, you know, they bar- quote borrow the money, thinking they're going to pay it back, and then lose the money. And in any event, there were lots of issues surrounding these powers of attorneys, and so state lo- legislatures began to pass laws that made these power of attorneys a little more formalistic documents. You had to make certain statements in the document, certain acknowledgments. 
And so, to my mind, it's best to see a lawyer if you're going to redo the document. Uh, often the lawyer, I don't know how you handle this, Harry, but if you've created a, a document for someone before, like the power of attorney mm-hmm. while you're doing general planning for them, yeah. what's your response when they come in and say, I need to update this, my son has moved away? Uh, well, that will do it. And, and, we do right. a, and we do a completely new document. We don't like amend the old one sure. or anything like that. Yeah, and you often, I suspect you often find that the old document was okay when it was written under a previous law, but now it, you, it should be updated. And, yeah. in fact, it's a good time not just to think about who is the agent, but some other things we're going to talk about today yeah. about financial planning. So see, I would recommend seeing a lawyer. Uh, incidentally, I get nothing out of this. I don't do this personally. <laughs> I think it's a good idea for for people out there. If it was my father asking me, and he was uh, he he was very leery of spending money, I would tell my father, "Go see a lawyer." Yeah, that, that, that's what I actually tell my mother, but she doesn't go. <laughs> well, <laughs> that sounds like we have very similar parents. Okay. Um, <clears throat> From pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Higher Ground with higher education attorney, John Graff. We are dealing with issues that are breaking on an hourly basis sometimes in higher ed. What we wanted to do was actually bring the information to the listener at a time when it's convenient for them. Succinct, brief, punchy discussions with people who have experience and particularly through the lens of the people on the ground in higher ed. Higher ground. Go to pod617.com. Join the pod revolution in pod we trust. But once you, so you get the power of attorney and that'll get you through a lot of things in life. But that's the first thing I said, the first problem is that the agent may not be appropriate. And the second thing that happens to people as they get older is their financial affairs change in ways that maybe a power of attorney isn't sufficient anymore to, to handle their affairs. Uh, let me get, kind of go into that a little bit. As you age, you kind of lock in your investments into certain mutual funds or bonds. And, but for most of us, increasingly, most of our savings are locked up in our IRA, that is, that when, you got, when you retired from your job, you probably had a 401k plan, and you got a lump sum when you retired. They don't give watches much anymore to people, but you probably got a lump sum dollar amount, and you rolled it over or put the money into an individual retirement account, an IRA. And that IRA, now, you, you, every year you have to take out some money, the required minimum mm-hmm. distribution. And that, for most people, is the bulk of their assets. That is, they probably may have some savings outside that. Hopefully they do. But often that half a million, 700000 whatever amount it is, uh, in that IRA is where their money is, okay? Yeah. So now you have to ask yourself, who is best, who is the best person out there to be my agent to handle that IRA? And that's not... It's a lot different than paying your property taxes or making sure uh, that your uh, food bill is paid on time or your, your cable, more likely your cable bill is paid on time. This is a different kind of uh, talent. That is, I could have as my agent to pay my checks and collect my, make sure all my, uh, if I get dividend checks, they're deposited in the bank and that kind of thing. But now someone's going to handle my IRA. They have to make two big choices every year. How to invest the money Mm -hmm. 
and how much money to take out of it. Now, they will be, they will be required to take out this minimum, required minimum distribution, but is that enough money, or should they take out more? In other words, it's a pretty serious decision, right? Yeah. And that may be that you want to have a separate agent for your IRA. That is, you may say, look at my son, Corey, he's good. To, you know, he'll pay my cable bill. He'll make sure my Medicare co-payments are all handled, all that kind of thing. But when it comes to handling an IRA, eh, not so much so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a great guy, but money investments, I don't think that's his strong suit. And so I may want to pick a different child, or maybe I have a grandchild who's a little older. Maybe my granddaughter, who's a financial advisor or you know, has an MBA, and she doesn't, I don't want to burden her with dealing with my daily financial needs, but she's the one who can make the sensible decision on where to invest the money and how much to take out. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason that you want to look over your powers of attorney after a few, every few years and talk to your financial advisor and your lawyer and say, do I have the right people in place? Are these the people with the capabilities uh, who could handle these affairs? And, and so that's the second reason I think a power of attorney is you don't just sign it and walk away and say, well, that's, it's not like writing, I don't know, uh, what is, you actually can't sign anything these days just to walk away. You should be thinking of, always about it. The next issue in financial planning is protecting you from yourself. And this is, uh, you mentioned this earlier, mm-hmm. you said how to avoid scams and such. Right. The older we get, and we uh, talk to any older person, or maybe you've seen it in your parents or your grandparents, making decisions, particularly financial decisions, becomes more stressful the longer the older the person gets mm-hmm. the older the person gets and is, 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 is it, is it to, more stressful because um, just because it matters more because they're they, they, they have to depend on the decisions or is it more stressful because something happens to them physio- physiologically I think it's both I think that's a good observation I think you know when you get older, these are the last dollars you're going to earn. So if you lose these, you can't replace them. Mm-hmm. And you, secondly, there seems to be something about getting older where it's harder to make decisions. Now, I'm not sure why that is. It may be connected to short-term memory not being as strong as it used to be. I always say, thank God we have cell phones so I don't have to remember anyone's <laughs> telephone number mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> But we all notice that kind of short-term memory, that kind of memory of small items. It doesn't mean you're demented. It doesn't mean you can't make good decisions. It just means you you forget things. But whatever the reason is, you don't want to be facing, when you're 85 years old, worrying about, gee, should I do X or should I do Y? You you kind of want to have things in place where you can say, I made a good decision. I can just stick with that. The other problem, of course, is that one of the early signs of dementia in the early stages is people often freeze and can't make decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ways many children discover that their parents are starting to have some dementia is that they, they walk in the house and they find the, the mail isn't properly opened or there are financial documents which haven't been opened or even looked at and looked at, or even like if dividend checks for some reason aren't getting deposited. It's pretty common. So how do you protect yourself from that? Well, what you do is you arrange your affairs in such a way that you aren't required to make any decisions or to take any action. Mm-hmm. For example, if you have a four, uh, IRA rollover and you have to take out a required minimum distribution every year, 
arrange it so that required dist- minimum distribution is going to be paid to you probably 12 times a year, if possible. And I think that's almost always possible. So every month you get a check, mm-hmm. okay? You don't have to decide, well, how much should I take out this month? You don't want to do that. Just get, just get yourself a regular check coming in every month. Uh, next, how do I invest the money? Well, you want to have your IRA and your other savings in accounts that reflect the fact that, that at this point in your life, you should be an investor and not a trader. Mm-hmm. You may have enjoyed buying and selling stocks and seeing how smart you are. You like to watch that guy Kramer on TV in the evenings, and he's telling you what you should do. And it's a lot of fun. But frankly, at some point in your life, you should not have your assets exposed to the risk of trading. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you can't take a few dollars, on whatever a few dollars means to you, and you can have a fun pack of the money you like to play with and invest. But you want to have your money put into mutual funds, probably index funds, and just forget about it. Just leave it there and let the market, the market goes up. That's wonderful. You're a smart guy. It goes down. You feel terrible. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but you want to be in a situation where you're, you're, the mantra is, what you say to yourself is, I'm not going to react to changes in the market mm-hmm. day by day or week by week. Just get that as your habit. So then you get older and you, and you see the market changing. You say to yourself, I don't know what should I do. And you say, oh, I know what to do. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I hear that's usually pretty good advice anyway at any age. Yeah, I think at any age. But I'm more sympathetic to a 50-year-old saying, you know, I think I know what to do here. I think I'm smart. I, you know, I, or I can take a risk. But at 80, you shouldn't be taking risks. Now, here's a, here's a sub uh, aspect to this. If you stop trading, just kind of lock in your investments, make some decisions and let them go. And you can even lock in, for example, your allocation of assets. So if you've decided, for example, you want half your money in stocks and half in bonds, you can have a system where when the stocks go up in value, you sell some stocks and you automatically buy more bonds and vice versa. So you don't even have to readjust the Percentages, that happens automatically. You can arrange with your investment advisor and how that can be put put together. But if you're not actively trading, then one day when the phone rings and you pick it up, an unknown number, Mm -hmm. and suddenly on the other end of the line, a young man or a young woman with a very pleasant voice, a very sincere-sounding voice, tells you they have an opportunity for you to make an investment that could increase your returns, or they probably start out by asking you, are you satisfied with the amount of interest and income your investments mm-hmm. are producing? Would you like a 10% increase, a 20% increase? And you're going to say, sure, why not? Right, right. <laughs> and off they go. The next thing you know, you have been buying stock in a South American <laughs> uh, rabbit farm or something. Yeah. Or, or, or investing in the Jamaican lottery. But Jamaican, oh yeah, or you've won, yes. Yeah. Even worse, you've won the Nigerian lottery, but you just have to send a few thousand dollars. Right. So in other words, you want to have a situation where someone calls up and says to you, I've got a good investment opportunity, and they may even be an honest person. And you just say back, however, thank you very much. I'm not actively trading. I've, I've, I've settled that into a, to a, to a format and I don't need to talk to you. And that will protect you from scam artists. It will protect you from just aggressive salesmen. They're not really crooks, but they're just pushing you know, some investment opportunity. 
And it will also mean you can have a lot more fun watching uh, television that you enjoy watching and not worrying about whether you should be buying more Microsoft or, or less Apple or whatever. So, of course, even if you've set this all up, um, you still, you're still going to get those calls and uh, can, can still react. Is there a way to kind of... Uh, keep, well, keep there's where you have to start that. using your t- 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 cell phone. Your cell phone can be your friend. And I'm assuming you're going to have a cell phone. I, I realize people, we're talking, I'm actually talking on a landline, but I'm in an office. But as an individual, I don't have a landline. Mm-hmm. But with a cell phone, if you get calls, you can block cell phone calls. Mm-hmm. Very simple to do. Uh, and if you don't know how to do it, find a 20-year-old around mm-hmm. your neighbor. <laughs> He will tell you, show you how to do it. Actually, it's really important you learn how to, to block phone calls and block emails. You can do that. And if you start doing that, you will greatly reduce uh, the calls. I don't know about you, Harry, but gosh, I get called at, at least once a week by someone who wants to tell me my credit score has enabled right. me to borrow a lot of money. Yeah, definitely. And all I do is keep blocking and they start using new numbers but if i didn't did not block i would get called a lot more frequently it's it's even easier on email to uh to block the sender of email and again if you're not sure how to do that it's it's very simple of course it's only simple if you know how to do it but if you're not sure how to do it ask someone to help you and you'll, you'll learn how to do that quite quickly and you'll be happy to get less uh Email, a lot of those emails that, you, that we get, we just don't want to get. And uh, you, you can, it's not just scam artists. It, it may be some, you know, if you buy furniture from a store one time, they, for the rest of your life, they're sending you daily right. uh, bargains on sofas or something. And yeah. you just don't need to see them. Or, or contribute to a charity or a political candidate. Oh my gosh! Yes, the political thing isn't that. Uh, that you know, that's uh, hopefully it's ebbed a bit. Actually, I thought it would have backed off after the election, but not seemingly. They, they still need. They seem to need money instantly every day. Right. So, uh, right. I blocked those two. So those those sound like uh, great first steps to uh, protecting oneself in terms of uh, the, the power of attorney and uh, getting. Um, all of your investments and distributions into a kind of a, a fixed scheme and uh, just sticking with it. I know you have some other concepts and uh, I look forward to talking about those on our uh, next podcast. Well, thank you, Harry. And uh, I just, I hope I took good notes because I have to do those things in my own life. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Okay. I'll enjoy talking to you again. And uh, I enjoy, as always, uh, it's a pleasure talking to uh person as knowledgeable and as concerned with their client's best interest as you are. Thanks, Larry. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes.